what, what is it about that prayer time right before somebody comes up here that just like, it's just always so like Holy Ghost filled, like every stinking time, man. Every, every time one of them prays, whether it's Marcus or a kid, I feel like, man, I don't even need to come up after that. Like he just went ahead and took care of it. We can take communion past the plates and get on out of here if you ask me. But we're not going to because the Lord gave me something to say today. So um, this morning, we continue our series. Can I get this down just a little bit? Yeah, appreciate you. This morning, we continue our series called Loyalty and Royalty. If you have not been with us up to this point, this is the fourth edition. We're going through six of these episodes. Um, this is the fourth edition, and it is our study going through the book of Ruth. We started our story off with a family in Bethlehem. Now, this is in the Old Testament, so don't get ahead of me. It's a family in Bethlehem when, when, uh, when famine strikes, and this family, led by Elimelech, decides to leave for what they perceive to be greener pastures. Elimelech gathers Naomi and their two sons. They take off for Moab, and they settle there. While they're there, their two sons get married uh, to Moabite women. Uh, but lo and behold, the tragedy really strikes and kicks off chapter 1 when we see Elimelech pass away, and before her two sons can conceive children with their, with their new wives, they also pass away, leaving Naomi a widow with just her daughters-in-law. So she decides, as long as I'm going to be in poverty, as long as I'm going to be this way, as long as this is the condition of the rest of my life, I might as well go home. Girls, don't follow me. Just, I'm just going home. Now, of course, we know Orpah decides, you're right, it's better for me to stay here. But Ruth shows her dedication, shows her undying loyalty to her mother-in-law and follows Naomi home to Bethlehem. When they get there, they're welcomed, but ultimately Ruth is just there to inherit whatever poverty Naomi is going to exist in. So she decides to get up and do something about their circumstance. She goes out into the field and the scripture tells us that she just so happens to wander into this particular part of a field to work that just so happens to be owned by a close relative of her deceased father-in-law, which we'll get into a little bit today, why that's significant. She works hard. She just so happens to catch the attention of our new character, Boaz, and for her hard work and for, most importantly, her loyalty in this whole scenario, Ruth is immensely blessed by Boaz. When we stopped reading last week, we found out that Ruth went home to tell Naomi, hey, I got like crazy blessed at work today. You wouldn't even believe it. And she starts telling her all these things, and Naomi's like, well, who, what part of the field did you wander into? Who owns that part of the field? And Ruth is like, this dude named Boaz. And Naomi's like, huh, okay. Stay right here, daughter. I'll be right back. And that's where our story ended last week. So let's not waste any time. Let's go ahead and get into it. We are in the book of Ruth. This is the third chapter. If you do not know, this is, the, this is in the Old Testament. It's going to be towards the beginning. It's right after the book of Judges. 
We're going to go to big number three, and we're going to start at the top with little number one. This is Ruth chapter three. Let's go ahead and read the first five verses. It says this. One day Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you'll be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he'll be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you, take a bath, (laughs) you gotta say it sometimes, and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go out to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down, then go uncover his feet and lie down there. He'll tell you what to do. Ruth replies, I will do everything that you say. Now, it's important for us to remember that at the end of chapter 1, Naomi was so upset. She was so, in her own mind, she was so victimized in all of this. Her tragedy and her mourning was so deep that she said, don't even call me by my name no more. Because my name means pleasant. And surely I am not pleasant. The Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. Yeah, I'm pretty mad at some of the messed up stuff I've been going on. So why don't you just go ahead and call me Mara, which means bitter. And throughout this whole story so far, that's all we've seen from Naomi is this bitterness towards the things that she's had to go through. But now, starting in chapter 3, we see a little bit of a character shift, don't we? Did you catch that right there in the beginning? She goes from arms folded, sitting in her poverty, to, you know what, Ruth? I should probably make sure that you're provided for. It's probably about time for me to take care of you. All of a sudden, Naomi starts to get up out of her bitterness. She starts to get up out of her mourning. And why? Because at the end of chapter 2, what she saw, what she realizes when she realizes that Ruth just so happened to meet Boaz, who can be the family redeemer, oh, you know what? Matter of fact, there is a little bit of hope out there, isn't there? Isn't it funny how our tones change when we're in something so deep, when we are just so deeply impacted by something negative? We might even be mad at God, but let us be reminded that there is a little bit of hope out there. Let us start to get a peek at some of the inner workings of what God is really doing and what God is really putting together. And man, how about that? I feel so much better today. The significance of Boaz as a family redeemer is a cultural practice. Back then, if a man died leaving behind a wife, it was the responsibility of the closest relative to redeem the family by marrying the widow, taking up the land, and protecting the family. Boaz was Elimelech's relative. And so Naomi, light bulb, aha, he should marry Ruth, That way, this whole situation is redeemed. That is what's about to go down. So Naomi's like, all right, Ruth, check this out. Your parents can't mess this up. I need you to take a bath. I need you to come out smelling clean. And then after you smell clean, I need you to smell good. So I need you to get the best oil, the best perfume, the best of whatever we have. If you don't have nothing, find something. If you can't find nobody, 
sorry, I was going to quote Remember the Titans. Let's just keep going. So, <laughs> so he's, he's like, come out smelling good. Get on your best robes. Take off those morning clothes. Take off those clothes that mark your tragedy. Put on something fresh. Put on something new. And I need you to go down there and say, what's up to Boaz? That's what I need you to do. She's like, where's Boaz going to be? Let me tell you where Boaz is going to be. And hey, listen, stick with me. Because this is where the text gets absolutely mind-blowingly beautiful. If you don't believe me that Hebrew is such a beautiful and poetic language, that the authors of Scripture were so inspired that even their simplest of words could communicate so deeply a simple message, but such a, such a complex process, this is about to tell you. This is why I love the Bible. This is why I love the text, because what I'm about to tell you right here. She says, go down there where they're winnowing barley. Now, for those of you who don't know, because who would know, Winnowing barley is where they would let the animals, the workers would let the animals trample the crops. And the grain would get separated from the stock because it was being trampled over. Then the workers would come in after the animals. They would scoop up the mix that was trampled on the ground. They would throw it in the air because the threshing floor was in a really, really windy spot. So it's crazy windy in the evenings at the threshing floor. So they gather the stuff up, they throw it in the wind, and the wind would take away all the junk, and what would remain was the good grain that would fall to the ground. Now, I don't believe it's coincidence that the word for wind in Hebrew is ruach. The same word that is used for the breath of God that we just sang about a few minutes ago, the same word that is used for the spirit or the presence of God. So what Ruth is saying is, or what Naomi's saying to Ruth is, go down there where the wind's blowing. But what she's really saying, what the author is saying, is go down there where you perceive God moving because God is on the move. God's about to do something, and I need you to put yourself and your best in the middle of it. Whoo! Man! Isn't this text so good? Gosh, I love scripture, man. Here's the point. Point number one. Let's throw it up there. When God is up to something, you give your best to be a part of it. When we sense the Spirit of God moving, we need to do our absolute best to put ourselves out there and be a part of what God is doing. When we sense God is doing something, we don't sit down in all of our bitterness. We don't sit down, fold our hands, and wait for something to change. When we sense God doing something, we go to where he is moving. We go to where the wind is blowing, and we just see what's up. It's not always going to make sense either. Why would a Moabite woman go down in the middle of a whole bunch of people who's not her culture, in the dark, where nobody can see them, just so somebody might want to marry an outsider. That doesn't make any sense. It's not always going to make sense. 
when you see God doing something, it doesn't have to make sense to you. And that's not your responsibility to logically deduce what God is doing. So instead of trying to reason, instead of trying to logic, instead of trying to make excuses for why that don't make no sense, so let me go ahead and sit my butt right here in my dorm room, our response should be like Ruth's, which is, whatever you tell me to do, I'm in. Let's keep going. Verse 6. It only gets better. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor that night. She followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and she laid down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his, at his feet. I mean, yeah. Who are you? He asked. It's dark. He couldn't see. He didn't know. I'm your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. Verse 10, Boaz responds. He says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows you're a virtuous woman. Verse 12. But while it's true that I'm one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Verse 13. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I'll go talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you, very well. Praise God. Let him marry you. But if he's not, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So here's what happens. Ruth sticks to the plan. Naomi's like, mm, I feel something going on. I think something's stirring over there. The wind's surely a-blowing. Ruth, I need you. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna start making a plan. We're going to plan boldly. That part's good. That part's really good. Plan bold when you feel God move. Hey, I'm not going to go back to the first point, but I could. She says, we're going to take this into our own hands. I need you to look good. I need you to smell good. I need you to go down there. I need you to wait for him to fall asleep. I need you to curl up next to him. I need you to uncover his feet. We'll talk about that in a second. And then I need you to basically, you know, put yourself out there. So Ruth follows the plan. She waits for Boaz to have a good time, lays down and lay down somewhere for the night. She creeps in undetected. She uncovers his feet, lays down next to him. Now, for those of you who are like, that's weird. Why would she uncover his feet? Well, uh, there's a lot of reasons that this could be. Uh, it's not, you know, like super known. But to just put it to you bluntly, most likely this was a sexual advance on Ruth's part. Then for her to say, extend your covering to me, that's an ancient practice where, you know, to claim your territory, to claim your wife at the time, you would just put your cloak over her. So she's like, put your, put your cloak on me. She's basically putting herself out there. She's basically like, hey, I'm here. Come on. <laughs> but what does Boaz do? 
What does Boaz do? I thank God that Boaz is a much stronger man of faith then we're not going to make comparisons. Because my man Boaz sees what's going on, and he instead sees Ruth for her loyalty. Not for what she's putting out there. Not for what she's willing to do. Not for any other type of advance she may or may not be making. He sees her for her loyalty says, you're even more loyal to the family than I even realized. Boaz says, I see your family loyalty. I see it even deeper than before. Because you could go with the younger model. You could go with the richer model. I mean, I'm fine, but there's dudes in the field that are better than I am. You could go with them. But you are loyal. Boaz then says, but... There is a proper procedure in place here. See, there's technically another guy who's more closely related, and he should actually get first shot at being your redeemer. But either way, because I see you for you, because I see who you really are, because I see your intent, you can rest assured that regardless of how this process goes, I will redeem you. I will make sure that you are redeemed. So once again, this is where, you know, I talked to you about this a couple weeks ago, but this is where, you know, the we, we, we casual reading of the text likes to lend itself to this is a romantic story. Like, you know, Ruth goes down there, she meets Boaz, Boaz meets Ruth, they say, what's up? Then she meets him on the threshing floor, then they, you know, talking oh, a little bit. It's none of that. We got to relax on that. Ruth is putting herself out there. But then the man of all men resists her temptation and still takes her in and still takes care of her. Because what Boaz is actually recognizing here is Ruth is not being led to Boaz specifically. Ruth is being led to a system. Ruth is being led to a law that God put in place long time ago that says if you find yourself in this situation, here's how God plans to redeem you. Isn't that just like God to put something in place thousands of years ago that we'll need today just because he knows that thousands of years in the future, you're going to need this rule. And so let me go ahead and put this in motion now. Boaz knows Ruth is not being led to him. Ruth is being led to God. God is not calling Ruth, come over here and meet your husband. God is calling out to Ruth, come over here and meet me. What am I saying? Let me put it more plainly. Church, singles specifically, Let me talk to you for a minute. God is not leading you to a man or a woman. God is not leading you to have a relationship with the person that you find physically attractive. That is not God's plan. God's plan is to lead you to himself. God is not leading you to another human. God is leading you to him. Because man cannot redeem you. 
Woman cannot redeem you. It's not good for man to be alone, but woman did not redeem man and vice versa. Only God can redeem man. And if, 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 if there is a significant other that enters into the picture that God so intricately weaves into the story as he is leading you not to that person but to himself, then that person better be Boaz. That person better be somebody that when you're lost in all of your foolishness, that when you're putting yourself out there, that when you've given into temptation, that when you've taken matters into your own hand, he's the one that leads and says, ah, we're not going to go there today. That's not what God has for us. He better be somebody that God has made a person of high character and high integrity. He better be a person that God has made to be after his own heart. It's going to be somebody that wants to do this relationship the right way. It's got to be somebody that fights, not for the satisfaction of your desires, but for the betterment of you personally and spiritually. It's going to be somebody that blesses you. Catch this one. It's going to be somebody that blesses you in the daylight the same way he hits you up when the sun goes down. And it works the other way too. Ooh, man, we got to keep going. We got to keep going. I could could go on that forever. We got to keep going. Come on. Come on. Where are we at? Verse 14. Verse 14. Mm. Ooh, this is my favorite part. Here we go. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning. He said, you, you, you stay at the foot of the bed, baby girl. <laughs> so Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned her to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how'd it go? Ruth told Naomi everything that Boaz had done for her. And she added, he gave me these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. That man is not going to rest until he has things settled today. This is the best part. The text is so good. So Ruth has to get up because Boaz is like, look, people can't know you were here. Boaz isn't ashamed of anything. Let's not not get that twisted. He's He's not worried about people seeing Ruth, people seeing him with a Moabite. That's not the problem. But see, Boaz is taking the extra step to protect Ruth's integrity, to protect what other people might whisper about her, to protect how it might appear to other people. He's also making the extra effort 
to maintain an above reproach look. Because there was this little clause in that whole family redeemer skit where it says, if, if there is perceived intercourse with an outsider, then that disqualifies you from redeeming somebody else. Almost as if God knew this exact instance was going to happen, right? It's crazy. So he's like, we can't even give that appearance. We can't even be looking like that. I need you to stay a woman of virtue. I need people to still know who you really are and not be whispering about you. Then he says, and don't go back to your mother empty-handed. Not a coincidence. This, oh, the text is so good, y'all. Not a coincidence that the same word Boaz uses for empty is the same word Naomi uses to, to express her grief back in chapter 1 where she said, I left this place empty. I've come back to this place empty. Boaz says, I know Naomi feels empty. While we're going ahead and we're at this whole redeeming thing, take some of this and make sure that Naomi doesn't feel empty. Man, that text is so good. And Naomi, she's just caught all the way in the wind now. She's caught all the way onto God's drift. She's like, okay, I see what you're doing. And so she looks at Ruth and she's like, be patient because God is up to something. And I know that that man won't rest until it's right. Man, that's so good. Point three, follow through and let God work. Follow through and let God work. What is expected of us is to follow through. As long as we are after where God is leading. As long as we're chasing where the wind blows, so to speak. As long as we're doing our best to find ourselves in the middle of what God is up to. God is bigger than our foolishness. God is bigger than our misleadings. God is bigger than our temptations. God is bigger than people's whispers. God is bigger than our hungry stomachs. He's bigger than all those things. He's not asking for you to take care of any of that. He's not asking you to take matters into his own hands. He's asking you to discern where he's moving, stand in the middle, and then let him go to work. As long as we're after the following, or as long as we're following where God is leading, he will do the rest. God communicates to us in this text, I will protect your appearance. Go after me. Don't worry about what nobody else thinks about how that looked. If you feel me calling you to England, go to England. Don't worry about what nobody else says about post-Christendom and none of that. I didn't ask you to worry about that. I asked you to go to England. I will protect your appearance. God says, I will keep your life above reproach the devil knows what you're after the devil knows you want to be after God's heart so the devil's going to throw some things at you the enemy's going to try and nip at your heels and trip you up a little bit but God's like look as long as you're after me where that exists I will always leave a way out there will always be a trap door just call out my name and I got you through the chute he says I will always give you what you need As long as you're after me, as long as you're trying to be where I'm at, you're not going to go hungry. You're not. 
you're not going to need anything. I am going to care for your everyday needs. And perhaps most importantly, is God tells us through this story, I will not rest. I will not take not even a 10-second break from trying to bring every person closer to myself. I will not rest. You will not catch me slipping. You will not catch me looking down, texting the Holy Ghost on my phone while I'm driving. You're not going to catch that. I will never rest until you are fully redeemed. I will never stop going after your heart. As long as there is pain, as long as there is weakness, as long as there is sickness in your bones, I will never stop going after you. I'm not going to stop going after your neighbor either. I'm going to heal you up so you can help me go get him. God will never rest. Last week at the Vision Lunch, uh, I got to share uh, a bit of where I saw uh, us as a church going. Um, for those of you who, who, who stayed, forgive me, you've heard some of this already, but for the rest of us, um, I believe God is up to something big. I believe God has, is, has orchestrated things that we don't even know about. I believe that God has already, like, like what he's already brought to our eyesight is just like a small taste of what he's really doing. Just like in this story, Right? And I was very honest in telling you all last week that, that there were people along the way in the process of, of this church starting that, that had all these reasons why this shouldn't happen. There were people along the way, I, I was honest with the fact that, that the biggest concern was against starting something new, building something from the ground up in this area specifically, in this neighborhood specifically. I had people tell me, I ain't going to work. For like a uh, uh, hundred different reasons. I mean, you know, economically, relationally, you know, I don't know if you know this, but your skin don't look like everybody else's skin. Like, there's just a whole lot of reasons that this isn't going to work. The community, they said, had seen too much. The community had been through too much. The community, I was told, was non-responsive. Yet, hey, here we are. And I look out, I look out at some of the faces that are here. I'm like, man, you can't tell me God ain't up to something. You can't tell me that. There's, a, I'm not going to point him out, but there's an individual here that when I, worked at, when I worked at Hartford Middle School, if you ever saw me on, if you were ever going to see me on the news, for being fired from middle school for punching a kid. It was going to be this individual. That individual is here this morning. And not because he's here to bug me, but because all these years later, he is willing to acknowledge that God has been after him. That God is doing something in his life. And I'm so stinking proud of him for wanting to know what God is up to what he has to do about it. You can't tell me that God's not up to something. I could go around each row and each section and do the same thing that I just did. You can't tell me God's not up to something. And even moreover, 
The word of what God is doing right here on this side of Canton, Ohio, has made it far beyond Canton, Ohio. I believe that God is leading us out of our long history of tragedy. I believe God is leading us as a community out of our grief and suffering. And I believe it's going to start here. But the vision that God has laid on our hearts is to see expressions of his kingdom, kind of like Third Street, saturate every urban center of Northeast Ohio. We're talking about Akron. We're talking about Youngstown. We're talking about Cleveland. And we're talking about more of Canton. Because who doesn't love Canton? You know what I'm saying? I believe God is up to it. I believe it is his way of leading people in our cities to himself. I believe that it starts right here with us being obedient and following through in our own lives, in our own context, in our own neighborhoods, at our own jobs. That word is also true for each of us on an individual level, which is where it has to start. God is not done planning and scheming. Listen to me. Listen to me on a, on a personal level for you. Oh, he ain't talking to me. I'm talking to you. God is not done planning and scheming for your life. God is not done with you. You are not who you are always going to be. You are in a process. God is doing something with you. God has something big for your life. And its plans bring you closer to him. The only question we must ask ourselves is are we willing to follow through with what he has asked us to do and then let God go to work? Are you willing to follow through on what God has asked you to do and let God go to work?